Um, I received a phone call a little earlier this week or late last week. I can't remember exactly when it was, and it was a number that I didn't recognize. Do you answer those when you get numbers you don't recognize sometimes? Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I, um, if, if it says scam alert, obviously, and maybe be aware, I mean, I never answer those. But if it's a number, especially if it's a local number and I just don't recognize, then I usually tend to answer those even though I don't know who it is. And that was the case here. I answer the phone, hello, and immediately this person introduces themselves and says, hey, this is so-and-so, and we're from Visa uh, Security and Fraudulent Services. All right, yay, so what's wrong with my card now? Like, who's hacking me, and how much of a mess is this going to cause me, right? And sure enough, sir, we've uh, noticed that there's some activity on your, your card that's a little bit unusual. Someone's purchasing or attempting to purchase several thousands of dollars worth of uh, plane tickets overseas, and we just want to verify uh, if that was you or not. And I said, no way, that's me. I hadn't purchased any tickets and going overseas. I wish it was me, but it certainly you know, wasn't um, uh, me. And I'm immediately beginning to think, man, again, what, what all am I going to have to do to undo this situation? How deep is this going to go? It's just not one of those things that you want to be dealing with. But as I was having all of those thoughts, all of a sudden something felt a little bit off, right? You know how you just kind of get a feeling, and then all of a sudden it hit me, you know what? Even though he introduced himself and said where he was from, I don't ever recall him, like, mentioning my name in the conversation. I certainly don't ever remember him um, trying to verify any account information that he had the right person that he was talking to. And I said, uh, so, sir, uh, what assurances do I have that you are who you, in fact, say that you are, right? Well, sir, this is so-and-so from Visa Security and Fraudulent Card Services. And I said, I know who you said that you were and where you were from, but I want to know how I can have an assurance that you are who you say you are. I was like, do you even know my name? Like, do you know my name or can you verify my account information for me? Sir, someone is trying to, you know, uh, hack into your system. And, and I was like, okay, at this point, I, I know what he's trying to do here. And I said, hey, listen, if, if you can just tell me my name, then we'll carry on the conversation and you can show me how someone's trying to, you know, hack my credit card. And no kidding, there was a long pause of about eight seconds. And the guy finally just goes, um, Fred? <laughs> like, no, no, this is not Fred, but thanks for playing, right? I mean, I couldn't blame the guy for trying, right? I mean, out of all the names in there, I'm like, well, he's caught me, but maybe I'll get lucky and just guess his name, and then I can really scam the guy, right? So I was like, man, that's really funny. It was a great try, but you're not going to win this one, buddy. And I said, click, goodbye. Um, a little bit crazy, right? I mean, you guys have had similar things happen to you, and um, it's unfortunate that this is the world that we live in. But sometimes when you're in those situations, again, that don't just quite seem to add up then we want assurances we, we, we were fishing for assurances that this is in fact true same thing kind of happens when things seem too good to be true sometimes we're looking for assurances that that is the case well listen in, when we dive into romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 1 you're going to get the sense that based on what paul has just written that he's thinking about the audience that he's writing to, and some of them are thinking, yeah, but Paul, um, what assurances do I have that this really is true? 
Because, and you'll know this if you were here last week, you may remember that Paul was talking about in, in diving into what is called justification by faith. That simply by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that when we receive his free gift of salvation, that um, we are declared innocent and we are made right with God. And so when we hear that kind of news, Paul's thinking, I know some of them are going to be reading this and they're going to be thinking, okay, Paul, that, that almost seems like it's a little bit too good to be true. Like, what assurances do I have that Jesus really is enough, right? Because he's writing to a Gentile and a Jewish audience. Many of them are familiar with the Old Testament, and there's a bunch of rules in there. There's a bunch of regulations. There's a bunch of things you're supposed to do. And all of a sudden, Paul's going, listen, the only thing you have to do is receive Jesus' grace for you through faith. And so they're going, okay, again, are you sure? Are you sure, Paul, that I'm not going to show up one day, get to the pearly gates of heaven, and say, hey, I put my faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, and um, it's time, right? And God say, no, um, well, that was a good start, but you should have been doing this, you should have followed these rules, you should have followed those laws, and you almost made it, but sorry, buddy, you're not, you're not really in, right? I mean, it, we can begin to think those kind of things. I think he's wondering when he gets into uh, uh, the end of chapter 4 there and what he's going to say right here in chapter 5, verse 1, um, that they're thinking, what assurances do I have? I think many of us wonder the same thing sometimes, right? I mean, what, what assurances do I have? Uh, many of you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. Some of you were young. You were 9 or 10 years old. Now you're 50, 60, 70. You're going, is Jesus really enough to last me for 80 years? Or, or maybe you accepted Christ when you were young and you're thinking, man, I can look back over my life and there's a lot of things that I've done between the time I was 10 years old and now that I'm not very proud of. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of things that I've done that I'm extremely ashamed of. How do I know that when I get to heaven, God's going to say, nah, buddy, I'm sorry. I know what you did. There is no way I'm letting someone like you and who has done what it is that you've done because I know I've seen it and you cannot enter into my heavenly gates. How do we know that's not going to be the case, right? A lot of us uh, live in bondage to that. A lot of us live in slavery to that kind of thinking. We're, we're always wondering if we're in good standing with God. We're always wondering based on the things that we've done or the things that were in our past or things that somebody else has maybe said or taught us at different times. And, am I really okay? Am I really going to be able to get in one day? And we don't know, and it causes a lot of stress. It causes a lot of anxiety. Quite honestly, it causes a lot of fear. I think Paul may be thinking that some of them may be thinking about the exact same things. And so now, as he has unpacked why justification by faith alone is actually true, now he's going to get into the benefits of justification. What you get out of having been justified by faith, having been declared innocent, having been made right with God, here is what is true of so look what Paul says is he, he gets into that first verse of chapter 5. Therefore, right, since we've been justified through faith. So based on what I've, I've just written here, since you've been justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, grace alone, all the above, here's what's true. We have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. This is, this is an indicative statement that Paul is making. This is an objective statement of reality. It exists. You have peace, he says. Now, now Paul just finished writing about how the fact in the first four chapters, especially the first three up until around verse 20, that you did not have peace. <laughs> that, that honestly, if you had not received Jesus' uh, salvation uh, by faith alone, um, in Christ alone, then you had every right to be worried and nervous and scared at that point because your sin did separate you from a holy and a perfect God. You existed in a state of war and antagonism. You were an enemy of his. So at one time, you were not experiencing any peace with God, but now, but now that you've been justified through faith, you have peace with God you can take a deep breath and just rest and have this deep inner assurance that your salvation is secure that you have peace with God and you will always have peace with God Paul says this is what is true about you hallelujah is right and i think a few more of you should have said that too no um it, it, that's great news but that's just the first verse all right look at what paul says next right so we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ verse 2 through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand i i love this because really there's this myth there's this myth that a lot of us buy into as Christians that, that grace is just kind of the entrance into a relationship with God, but now the rest is up to you, right? You, you receive it by faith, you receive it by grace, and that kind of gets you a little bit in the door, but now it's up to you. You've got to follow all the rules, you've got to make sure that you've read your Bible, that you've prayed enough, that you've given enough, that you've served enough. Let's make sure that you actually stop doing all of the sins that you've been doing and then one day when you get to the end we'll check to see how good you've been over that amount of time and i'll decide finally whether you actually really get to get in or not a lot of us buy into this myth and we have again lack of assurance but paul says that we gained access by faith into this grace and then what did he say in which we now stand presently continuously on and on you entered in through grace and you stand in his grace from that moment all the way to the end your salvation is secure because it is not determined by what you've done or what you haven't done but what Jesus has done for you This is good news, y'all. I've got one hallelujah so far, but I know there's something in you that's resonating with this, and we still haven't even got through verse 2. All right, so because this is all a gift from God, because there's not anything that we can do about it, Paul says last in verse 2, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, boasting here means taking confidence in and rejoicing in. You can be confident 
that you stand in his grace, that you're going to continue to stand in his grace all the way to the very end, and that should cause you to rejoice. All right, there we go. All right, uh, verse 3, Paul, I think, senses an objection, right? Some of you may be thinking that too, right? Okay, if that's true and you're trying to make this argument, then, Paul, what about suffering? Right, because, Paul, you make it sound like I have peace with God right now, but I'm experiencing suffering in my life. And a lot of us think that that suffering comes because God is angry at us, because we've done something wrong. I knew if I didn't go to church. I knew if I didn't read my Bible. I knew I shouldn't have done that thing last night, and now I'm stuck in this place and I'm suffering because God is punishing me and he's getting back at me for what it is that I've done. There's a lack of peace in those moments. Moments. And so suffering proves, Paul, right, that we don't ultimately have peace with God. We don't have assurance. And so Paul goes, let me just clear your minds in case this is what you're thinking is true about suffering and negating the argument that I just made on that. And so he says in verse 3, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. In other words, Paul says, God's even in the suffering. Right? I mean, with sin still in this world, we are going to experience times of suffering. Just because you have peace with God doesn't mean life is going to be a bed of roses and that there's not going to be anything that you um, ever have any problems with throughout your life. But the good news is, is that God is in the suffering with you and he's using it to produce perseverance through it. He's using it to produce the character that he's already given in you through you. And as you begin to see God working in the suffering, and persevering you through it and developing the character that he's put in you now working through you you're going to be filled with hope because now you used to think that the suffering caused doubt right oh the lord must i must not be secure in my relationship with him and i got to do i've got to do i don't know if i've done enough things am i in good standing now is that right god am i doing it right now and i hope one day when i get there but now if you already know that god's working in the suffering and you stand in his grace no matter what who's going to persevere you through it who's going to develop your character through it then you're going to end up leaving there with hope going i feel even better about my salvation being secure now because I know God's even with me in the suffering, that he uses it for his glory and for my good purposes. And you guys have experienced this probably in your lives. You've seen it. I couldn't help but when I was thinking about this and reading it, of, of thinking about Teresa Cannon, who was uh, one of our, our, our members. Uh, many of you know uh, Teresa. She passed away just uh, three or four months ago. Um, at the age of 68, she was born with, with Turner's syndrome. And, uh, man, it just caused a lot of problems in her life, a lot, of, a lot of suffering that most of us do not experience in our um, lives, off and on, off and on, off and on, off and on. She was very limited in things that she could do and, 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 and not do. And, 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 and I remember walking into that time of suffering, one of those times of suffering near the end of her life. She was in the hospital. She was in ICU, and, and, and she couldn't have any visitors except between one and, and three, just a little two-hour window, and the rest of the time she was alone, and she was hooked up to machines and her arms and, uh, you know, in various parts, and at one time even, you know, a trach, and she couldn't even talk, and uh, other times it wasn't in there, and she could, but I just, you walk in and you just go, well, you can't help but feel sorry for her. 
in the situation, the state that she was in, and gosh, I wish she wouldn't have to suffer like that. But God used those times to help me to get to know her. I still hadn't been in the church very long and hadn't got to hear all of her story, and God used her during that time to share with me all the struggles and all the things that she had gone through. And let me tell you, there wasn't one time that I ever left that hospital as she talked on and on and on about the struggles that she experienced throughout her life without saying, yeah, but Jason, God has been so good to me even in that moment right even the moment where she couldn't speak and she was having to write things down right and and i was talking about i'm sorry you have to experience that and she'd write down yeah but god is still being so good to me right i mean this is what we're talking about Teresa was not a slave to her suffering she went as a slave and in bondage to her circumstances and the way that it felt about God or whether she had peace with him or not or gosh, this is a cause of that. She was like, hey, I know God is in it with me and I'm experiencing his peace right now even in the suffering which gave her assurance. She would even talk about, I, I know where I'm going when I die. And she experienced that suffering and I know uh, because she was experiencing God persevering her through it, developing her character, it gave her hope. And I know he does the same thing in your lives as well when you lean on him and you look to him in the suffering instead of viewing it as, oh, I need to get out from under this as quickly as I can. And not, not that that's wrong to pray about God relieving the situation that you're in, but as long as we go, but God, I don't want to miss whatever you have for me in this situation because I know you're about developing perseverance, character, and hope in it. You're even in it, and you want to use it for a reason. So I don't have to try to get out from under it as quickly as I can. I can stay here until and if you choose to release me from the suffering, right? But ultimately, again, if we realize that, he's showing the same thing, that our salvation is secure, that suffering doesn't diminish that, that doesn't make it untrue in there. So Paul goes on, uh, now that he's finished verses 3 and 4, picks it up in verse 5 and says because he just said that that develops hope right perseverance character and hope and now in verse 5 he says and hope does not put us to shame or, or does not disappoint some translations say in other words you're not going to get to the end one day and go gosh i'm so ashamed that i put my faith and trust in jesus for salvation i'm, I'm so disappointed that i chose to go all in on jesus i, I knew that I would be disappointed when I get to the end. Paul's saying, you're, you're not going to say that. Hope does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame. And Paul says, here's why. Because, the rest of the verse, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says, one of the benefits of justification, being, being declared innocent and made right with God, happened to you because the Holy Spirit was poured into your life. You're now united to Christ filled with his love he's the one who made you um, um right and so now that that love has been poured into your hearts then you're going to experience that hope and that assurance and that uh, uh, eternal life that you know is yours both now and forever and Paul gives an example after he says this. If hope doesn't disappoint, it's been poured out into your, your heart. In verse 6, he says, you see, or for example, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. 
but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, it would have been one thing if you had had the opportunity to clean yourself up to start following God and doing all the right things and serving and uh, crossing off all the things off of your checklist and, and for the Lord to look at you then and go, oh my gosh, man, I'm so impressed by how much you've improved and how good of a person you've turned yourself into. Now, you're not perfect, but man, I've really seen how you've progressed all the way through. So you know what? I I'm gonna die for you because you're such a good person and you've tried so hard and you're right there so i'm gonna die just to get you over the hump a little bit no 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 it, when paul says that while we were still sinners that christ died for us that's saying while while you were as far as you could possibly get away from god we talked about this last week right the grand canyon you're on one side and god is all the way on the other and there is a deep long forever chasm between you and him because of sin in your life that's the amount of space there is between a holy god and a sinner like you all right so so in other words martin lloyd jones kind of puts it this way in his commentary on romans the the truth about us he says this is and this is such depressing bad news but the truth of, about us was and is that there was everything in us that was wrong and vile and hateful everything calculated to antagonize god towards us enemies hateful vile ungodly sinners as we were he says we must realize that our salvation arises only and altogether from the love of god in his infinite grace for christ to die for us while we were enemies hateful vile ungodly sinners picture this the worst thing that you've ever done in your life the worst thing that you could ever imagine doing in your life and you got caught you just finished doing the worst thing you could possibly ever do some of you have something in your mind right now it's based on something you've done this is real you have done it's not imaginary and you're like being filled with shame right now in this moment it's that strong jesus has caught you he's standing in the room you just finished doing what it is that you do and he's looking at you and you're thinking man he's so disappointed in I know he doesn't love me i'm so scared about what it is that he's going to do to me and jesus looking you in the eye and say i just saw what you did and i am disappointed in your choice but oh my gosh child i love you so dang much and i'm going to the cross right now for you like, like that's, the, that's the picture that when Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, him walking into the room with you just having done the absolute worst thing you could ever do that would make you so full of shame in front of him and him saying, no, I'm dying for you on this day, right now. That's how much I love and I care about you. Do you see that if that is true, and that's the worst, I mean, he died for you on your worst, most possible, day ever 
that anything from that point on would make his love secure? Do you see that? That's what Paul's saying here. If he died for us while we were yet still sinners, then he must, we must be filled with his love. Your eternal salvation, if it's based on God's love for you and he died for you while you were still yet a sinner, then that should bring you even more assurance of where you're going to spend eternity. Because if he was willing to die for you on your worst day, whatever choices and actions you've done since that point, you see what I'm getting at here? The assurance, the love that we have because of who Christ is and what it is that he has done for us. If your salvation depends on the love of God, and if God showed you that he loved you by letting Jesus die for you when you were considered his enemy, you will always, always be in the scope of his love. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood through his death, how much more, Paul says, shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now that's really good news right there. I mean, so much assurance in coming from that because Paul's saying if you've been declared innocent and made right with God already, then that's your judgment. He's already judged Jesus for you. You will not experience the coming wrath if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus because Jesus has received all of his wrath for you. Oh, man, I don't know about what it is I've done. Are we okay, God? Are we okay? Uh, wait, if you've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the God's wrath through him? You don't have to walk around like that. You have to walk around on eggshells. You have to worry about his wrath coming your way based on your actions and your behavior, the peace that you have with God, the assurance that you have because of justification through faith or by faith. Paul says in verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, see this is again that word, this is who you really were. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? So, so we're not just saved through Christ's death, we're saved through his life. We know that Christ paid the ultimate penalty for all of our sins, but we know on the third day that God raised him from the dead and that he ascended back into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And so he is still alive today. The good news, which we talked about earlier, he, he said Christ, uh, God poured out his love for you through the Holy Spirit. Right, All of his love and the Holy Spirit comes in you, uniting you to Jesus now in that moment. Now you've been reconciled back to God. The relationship that was broken in the garden, right? The relationship that, that was in the garden and then was broken in the garden, he's saying now is restored. You're reconciled back to God in a relationship with him. And, and listen, he's eternal, Right? So if you're united to him, then that life, that love that you have, everything in that reconciliation lasts forever. Do you see the security that you have? Do you see the assurance that that can bring you when we begin to understand that we're not just saved by his death, but we're saved through his life 
the perfect life that he lived, the sacrifice that he made, the life that he still goes on living, which has been deposited in you, and he's now living through you, will also carry you on to the end. There's certainly present implications with that. He'll dive into a lot more details about that as we go on, and that's going to be amazing to jump into and help us see even more benefits of justification by faith. But Paul mentions one of them right now that leads to, again, final assurance verse 11 not only is this so but we also boast in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now now received reconciliation a lot of us have been led to believe and if we've grown up in church or been a part of it again that god's up here and that we're down here right and the more you work and the more you do and the more you serve and the more you tend the more you give then you kind of get a little bit closer to god and then one day finally at the end of it all then you're finally going to be reconciled to god in heaven one day but what paul just says is through whom we have now received reconciliation there is no god up there and you down here there is God in you and that you are reconciled to and that you're in relationship with now and because you're experiencing the love and the blessings and the life and all of those things in that forever union with him then you can have security as far as your final salvation being with him in heaven one day this is such rich good news in just the first 11 verses of Romans and we still have a long ways to go right is this not good stuff it's good stuff right and so what does this mean for all of us who are specifically here this morning it, it means that if you've put your faith and trust in God for salvation in Jesus Christ and received him by faith that you can have assurance you have peace with God you and him are okay you're always okay you will forever be okay and you can know without a shadow of a doubt where you will spend eternity so quit running around looking over your shoulder and going am I doing it right now God is this right is this how I do it is it, are you okay are we okay I know I'm suffering what do I got to do to get out of it you and him are good you can take a deep have a deep, deep inner assurance of your salvation.